You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Okay, and uh, we also want to just acknowledge those who are joining us online this morning for one reason or the other. Thank you for joining us. If you uh, are regular, just indicate that you joined us online uh, through the app. And uh, if you're just joining us uh, uh, for the first time, just let us know that you are with us by uh, indicating so on the uh, media that you're using right now. Well, we are uh, going to finish Romans chapter 9 today, all right, as we're working through some of these difficult passages in Romans. Uh, so it can be hard to understand uh, some of these things, but, but Paul is, uh, again, dealing with the question, if, if God sent his son Jesus to be the Messiah, why have not more Jews recognized that? Why, why are the people of Israel seemingly in the minority and understanding this? And so Paul, again, just to remind us our context here in verse 6 says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. It's not, the problem doesn't lie with the Lord. The problem doesn't lie with the fact that, you know, in the Old Testament there was one plan, but now in the New Testament there's a new plan. That's not what's going on here. And so as we've been going through uh, chapter 9, we've seen Paul taking them back to the Old Testament scriptures again and again and again. He says in verse 6 as well, not all Israel is Israel, right? Not all who descended as the people of Israel, are truly Israel. And then he begins to show that. Look at Abraham's family. There were many sons there, uh, but only one chosen, Isaac. Isaac alone was chosen. And then look at Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob he chose. And so the question arose in verse 13, well then, is there injustice with God that he chooses some and doesn't choose others? And he, again, what? Points them to the scriptures. Exodus 32, Exodus chapter 9. Look, and, and both, interesting, both those passages is God speaking in each one and says, look, I am the one who chooses whom I will harden. I'm the one who chooses who I'll have compassion on, who I'll show mercy to. And so then the question is, well, then why does God hold us accountable if, if he's the one who chooses, then, you know, I guess it's not up to us. And, and the implication in those verses, as we looked at that last week, it's not somebody who's just kind of like wondering, like I still don't really quite understand this. this. These are the group of people who are saying, God, you're accountable to us. You're accountable to us. And, and, and so it's not this like God is here and we're here. It was like, you know, we're kind of on even ground and God must answer to us. And Paul's response is a strong rebuke. Who are you? Who are you to, to, to say that God must do something and not do something? You are what is molded. You are a piece of clay. Like That's the analogy. When it comes to God and you, you are way down here. He is way up there. And so you should not challenge the Lord God. And then he again points us back to the scriptures again. He has created some. What if, he says in verse 22, what if he's created some vessels to be vessels of mercy and some to be vessels of wrath? The vessels of wrath, we'll see at the end, 
in his patience, as his patience is, is being put out, even now on this earth, as there's so much wickedness, so much evil, so much rebellion against him, his patience will be revealed one day when this wrath is poured out, and at the same time, the vessels of mercy will be seen for who they are. And then he says at the end in verse 24, which leads us into today's text, there are some who are Jews and some who are Gentiles, these vessels of mercy. This has been the plan all along. God is showing us. He is faithful to his word. Now, as I was thinking about this, some chosen, some not chosen. There's a lot of people in this world, in our country, we have to recognize not every country is our country. Amen. Okay. So, but in our country, in our context, there's a lot of people who have this, 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 this thinking that um, inclusivity is the thing, right? It's, it's held as a high mark in our society. We need to be inclusive. But what I find interesting about this idea of inclusion is that there is still what? Exclusion. In this idea of ex- inclusion, everybody must believe what those who have decided what inclusivity is. And if you don't, guess what? You're excluded. Have you noticed that? So everybody must believe what we believe, and if you do, you're included in our group. But if you don't, you're excluded. Now, ironically, that same group of people has a problem with the fact that the Bible says there is one way to heaven. Pretty exclusive, would you not say? One way to heaven, as we're going to look at the text today, is only through Christ that we can be saved. Pretty exclusive. But, listen, it's also inclusive. People from every tribe, every nation, every person on this earth is given the opportunity to hear the gospel and then what? To either choose it or reject it. But if you choose it, you are included in God's people. It does not matter your background. The question is not a question of inclusiveness or exclusion. The question is, who gets to determine who is right and who is wrong? Who gets to determine what is true? Do we go by today's group of people who determines what is inclusive and exclusive and whose truths continually change, which they don't seem to have a problem with? Or do we go by the word of God and what he says is inclusive or exclusive? Well, if you're here this morning, you're likely to side with this, the Word of God. And what we see is that the Word of God has said, this has always been the plan. This has always been the plan. And that's what we're going to see revealed in what I've called the drama of salvation. Somebody was joking during our prayer time this morning. He's like, are you going to do some acting? Like, that would be really good, right? Uh, not, okay? So, but what I'm talking about by that is, is is the fact that God has had a plan all along and is being revealed to us day in and day out. And for the people of Israel at this time, even we, have to, we have to continually put ourselves back 2,000 years ago. The people at that time were like, this doesn't make sense based on what we have known. And what Paul is going to gently do once again is take them back to the Old Testament Scriptures and say, look, this has always been the plan. Jews and Gentiles vessels of mercy. So we're going to study that in just a moment. But before we do, let me pray for us one more time. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are a God 
of your word. Lord, when you say something is true, it is true. Lord, you are a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Your ways do not change. And this morning, as we continue to to study your plan of salvation, God, we pray that we would come expectantly. Lord, we would come in submission, Lord, hungering to know your truth, hungering to understand your ways. God, I pray that we would be better worshipers as a result of our time together this morning, that as we, as we look at these truths, God, we couldn't but help but praise you. Lord, truly salvation is yours and yours alone. Lord, we get no credit for our salvation. God, that's humbling, but it's good. It is right. God, this morning, I thank you that you know every heart here this morning. You know the weeks everyone's had. I know, as I've heard, many have had difficult weeks. But God, you are a God that as we put our hope in you, we know that we will not be put to shame. And so we look to you afresh this morning. No matter what discouragements we may have had this last week, no matter what trials, no matter what we've been through, God, we know that you are faithful. In fact, Lamentations remind us that your faithfulness is great that your love is steadfast and that your mercies are new every morning. And so, Lord, we wait on you. We look to you this morning. Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Lord, would you make us more like you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone have a Bible, Romans chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible this morning, just slip up your hand. The ushers would be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, a Bible at home. Just keep what they're giving you. But maybe you just forgot it as you run out of the house this morning. Uh, but we want to look together at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And we're going we're gonna to read 25 through 33 this morning. Again, just keeping in mind, we've just seen what? God has called some to be vessels of mercy, some from Jews, some from Gentiles. And then he says this in verse 25. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not, had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were, based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. The fact that that in Paul's day that there are Gentiles being saved and Jews largely are not being saved is fulfillment of what the Word of God says. This is what he will show them again and again as we go through the text. He's going to point them to what? Not my words, he says, but God's Word. 
God is being faithful to his word. He's revealing to us his plan of salvation. And as we think through the unveiling of God's salvation, first we see this in verses 25 and 26, an astounding reversal. There's been an astounding reversal. Now, not an astounding reversal for God, all right? Right? He, he had this plan before the creation of the world. But for the Jewish people, this was unexpected. That the Gentiles, like many of you in this room, maybe, not, maybe all of you in this room, that Gentiles could be saved. It was a shocking thing for them. It seemed like there had been a great reversal. Gentiles over there, they're, they're sinful, they're bad, they can never be saved. We are the people of God. He chose us. We get salvation. That was their thinking. But, but Paul is showing them, look, this has been the plan, as Hosea said. All right? So he has them think about, or, sorry, so he has them turn to, or turn their thoughts to Hosea. Let me read it and then give us a little bit of background. He says, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who, are not, who were not my people, I will call my people. In her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, they, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Here he's quoting from Hosea 2.23, and then in verse 26 from Hosea 1.10. Anybody been reading Hosea lately? Reading yourself some prophets? Okay, so maybe you're like, I, I, it's been a while. That, since I've been in Hosea. Let me just remind us of what's going on there. Israel, at this point, is divided into Israel and Judah. Israel, it's not going well. We're in the 8th century B.C. By 722, the people are gone. From, they're, 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 they're sent into exile, the people of Israel. And there's been this testimony over and over again. Look, Israel, you think that you're my people, but what you're doing is you're continually turning to other gods. You're, you're idolatrous. And so what he says to this prophet Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a life example of what's going on. So I want you to marry a harlot, a woman of sexual immorality. And so Hosea does. And they begin to have children, and God says, I'm in charge of what you're going to name these kids. The first kid, his name will be Jezreel. Jezreel, why? Because they will be judged in the valley of Jezreel. The, the people who have sinned against God will be judged. And so in they, whatever they would think of the Hosea's son, judgment is coming. Then they have a daughter. Her name, No Mercy. Anybody name their children No Mercy? I mean, that was a shocking word, right? It, you, you, would, you, would, you would not typically call your children these kinds of things, but God is making Hosea's life a parallel to what is going on in Israel. And he says, your, your name should be no mercy, for Israel were no longer his people, or sorry, would no longer receive mercy from God. He would be merciful to Judah for a time yet. Again, not till 722, they're exiled. Not till 586 is Judah exiled. And so he would be merciful to Judah, but not to Israel. And then they had a son. This is all found in Hosea chapter 1. And that son is named, not my people. Right? 
not my people. Why? Because they would no longer be his people. And so this is the shocking statement that Israel has received. This is, this people, which is the irony, again, like for people in the time of Christ, the time of Paul, like, guys, just read your Bibles. You know, you, you've never been truly always his people. There's been times of judgment. But, but here is God. He is merciful. He's still merciful. Look, I'm going to judge your sin. You'll be called, not my people, you'll call it. But then here's the word we hear in Hosea, where he's, chap, uh, sorry, he, where he's quoting from Hosea 2, 23. Those who were not my people, guess what? There's coming a time, again, in the future, well, I will call them my people. And her was not beloved, I will call beloved. There is coming a time. Now, in Scripture, sometimes there's the immediate answer in Scripture from of the people of Israel. Clearly, when they're reading this, they're understanding that God is speaking to the people of Israel. But sometimes also there's a greater fulfillment. And that greater fulfillment found itself in the Gentiles. This was something that we don't know exactly how, whether it was like through supernatural revelation to the apostles through the, through the Spirit of God or whether these things were being taught from Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Remember, he's like revealing to them all these things from the scriptures, but at some point they begin to understand, look, the Gentiles are chosen too. And so the, the text that Pastor Michael read this morning, guess what? Peter says the same thing that Paul is saying here. First Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, and he's speaking to the Gentiles, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So it wasn't just the nation of Israel who would receive this mercy, but it would be the Gentiles as well. Stott, speaking of the Gentiles, writes, their inclusion is a marvelous reversal of fortune by God's mercy. The outsiders have been welcomed inside. The aliens have become citizens and the strangers are now beloved members of the family. It's an incredible, incredible thing that you and I, who had been walking in rebellion against God, Gentiles, that we would be included now in God's family. And this is what he has done. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. Those who were not beloved, I will call beloved. Due to what? God's mercy. Anything that we did to, to, to say, he was like, oh man, they're, actually I messed up. The Jews actually, they're, they're a problem. I, these Gentiles are great people. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change, and, and now instead of salvation to the Jews, it's going to be salvation to the Gentiles. Is that what's going on here? No, it was God's plan, and in his, in his mercy, he decided that he would pour out his love upon people who should have been objects of wrath. A wayward people, a sinful people who had rejected God, a people who were enemies of him will be called his people, a people who were objects of wrath and not beloved when one day we called beloved through his mercy. Paul is hoping to show his readers that just as Hosea said that that would happen to the people of Israel who had rebelled and rejected him, God would also do this for the Gentiles. It's not out of his character to do so. They needed to see that, that, that this God who would be merciful to them, who had rejected him wholesale, would also be rejected 
to Gentiles. God saves wayward people. Just as he had done with Israel, he would do with Gentiles. And then interestingly, as we kind of think about this Romans 9 through 11 section, in Romans chapter 11, this people of Israel, guess what? Who at this time are, are largely hardened, God will also show mercy upon them in the future again. Like, God gets the glory over and over again, right? It's him who is merciful. And then he said in verse 26, now this is from Hosea 1.10, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. What is this talking about? The place where it was said to them, you are not my people. The place of exile, the place of dispersion. Outside of Israel, that, that place, in that place, they who were called not my people now will be called sons of the living God. This is a stronger indication that the, in, that the Gentiles would be saved. That the people outside of Israel would receive God's mercy. And then this incredible statement, they will be called sons of the living God. God has adopted us through his mercy. How incredible is this? This was God's plan all along, that the Gentiles will become my people, my beloved, sons of the living God. Again, for the Jewish people, this was an astounding reversal. They're thinking, we're the people of God, he loves us, he doesn't love them. He rightly rejects them for their sin. That was their thinking. But what they missed was like, the only reason that you would have been saved was God's mercy towards you. And so now he's pouring out his mercy upon the Gentiles. It has nothing to do with whether or not you've descended from Abraham. It has everything to do with the God of mercy. This should encourage all believers this morning. God is true to his word over and over again. He's a God who is merciful. Now I take you back to Romans chapter 8 at the end again. God says what? If you are in him, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He is always faithful to his word. This morning, if you're discouraged, if you're downhearted, remember these words to you. If you are his child, nothing shall separate you from his love. Just as he's been faithful to his word over and over again, as we look past into the past, he is faithful in the present. This we can believe with confidence this morning. Not only does God word, God's word reveal an astounding reversal, it also reveals an anticipated reckoning. An anticipated reckoning. We see this in verses 27 to 29. Israel failed to understand that just being Israel did not save them. If you've been with us for this series of Romans, you can, we've seen this from like Romans chapter 2 right through till to now, over and over again. Like, look, just because you say Abraham is a father does not mean that you are saved, does not mean that you are part of the covenant people. Instead, you should understand that unless you are truly his, that you will have judgment just like anyone else would have judgment. You too are a sinful people in need of a Savior. This time he turns to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 22 and 23 is where he's quoting from now. He says in verse 27, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, 
Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Now, their, their, their number being of the sons of Israel being as the sand of the sea, what does that take us back to? God's covenant with Abraham, right? Your descendants will be many. This was the promise. Seems a little, little hard to believe when they're like 100, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90, and there's still no children. But God has been faithful to that promise. And their descendants are many. That's true today. There are many people who can attribute their uh, ancestry to, to Abraham. They, they are from Abraham. They're Jewish people. And so the fact that God was faithful to that covenant, what? What did they believe? We're then all saved. See, look at the proof. God is with us. He has blessed us. So God has saved us. We, we like to believe what we like to believe, right? Jeremiah 17, 9, our hearts are deceitful above all else. I mean, despite the evidence over and over again in the Old Testament itself, the people of Israel even, even now believe that they are, there are many who believe we're God's chosen people. He's, look at how he's blessed us. And if you look at economically in Israel, doing, pretty, doing okay, would you not say? That little section of ground over there, like in the news, still a whole lot. Like, look, look, God has blessed us. But what they've missed is they're not a part of the covenant people. Most of them aren't. God has, God has said there is only one way. Unless you come through that way, you will not be saved. And so he says here, even in Isaiah, though you be number of the sons of Israel, be as the sand of sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Again, the context is judgment was coming against Israel for their sin. And though there be many, only a few would be saved. This tells us two things about God. He judges sin and he is merciful. Did, did he need to save anyone? Did not need to save anyone. Romans 3.23, we're all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That included all of Israel. Did not need to save any, but because he is a God of mercy, he will save some. Verse 28, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. I think what he's saying here is this. When God makes a plan, no one and nothing can stop his plan. He will show judgment to those whom he will show judgment to, and he will show mercy to those whom he will show mercy to. It is in his power to do so, and when he does it, he does it without delay. Not all who descended from Israel are truly Israel. And God is faithful to keep a remnant alive and to save some for the sake of his covenant with Israel. A fact, again, he's going to develop further in chapter 11. Chapter 9, looking past, look, this is the way it's always been. Chapter 10, we'll be looking at the present day and that time. And chapter 11, looking at the future of Israel. And then Paul quotes from Isaiah again. Isaiah 1, 9, verse 29. And Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Once again, he's highlighting both the deserved judgment on Israel and at the same time, his mercy. Can, can you imagine what the Israelites 
would have thought when they first heard this from Isaiah's lips? We would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Those, those wicked people, those Gentiles. Like I'm sure in their minds, it's just like, like we've, we're never like them. We are the people of Israel. We are good people. We're religious people. We have the law with us. What, what a ludicrous statement that we would be like Sodom, that we would be like Gomorrah. They have failed to see that it is only the mercy of God that has stopped them from becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, both in saving out a remnant and, and both in saving some, or not destroying all of them. God is a God of mercy. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction was full, was it not? This is what they deserved. It's what we all deserve. This word for offspring here takes us back to earlier in the chapter, verses 6 through 9. The offspring are what? The children of the promise. The children of the promise. If the Lord had of hosts, and every time you hear the Lord of hosts, it's like he's coming against you in power. If the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, again, who's in charge? Him and him alone. If he had not done it, this would have been the result. We would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Amora. We would have been destroyed for our sin, and rightfully so. But God keeps out a remnant. Again, when we get to chapter 11, he's going to show this again. You remember Elijah? Right? He's going against all the prophets of Baal. It's like this, this big battle. There's like 800 of them and, and him against him. And, and then there's this awesome victory. And then he leaves and he's like, I'm it. I'm the last one. And what does God say? I got like 7,000 that I've kept, that I've chosen. He says this, he quotes this in Romans chapter 11, verse 4. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I have kept for myself. God is in control. It is the mercy of God that saves and the justice of God that condemns sinful rebellion. And the reality was that if it was not for God, Israel would have been gone a long time ago. But just think about God's plan. He's faithful to his covenant to Abraham. He's faithful to his covenant to David. And he had brought about what? A new covenant through Jesus Christ, through that people. God is fully in control. I like what Schreiner had to say about this section. No one can legitimately complain that the preservation of a remnant justifies a complaint against God. The saving of any is mercy. The saving of any is mercy. Those who grumble against a God who refuses to save all reveal that they believe that God should save all. And that salvation is not a merciful gift of God, but a necessary part of God's contractual obligation to human beings. In this theology, praise will shrivel up. For no one is thankful when God merely gives what he should. Right? If, if, if it depends upon us, if, if we are owed it in some way, then it no longer is only about him and his mercy. And praise would shrivel up. 
But when we understand things as they really are, as we understand here in the text, that it's all about his mercy. And if it was not for his mercy, we would have all been condemned like Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he gets the praise. He gets the glory. Now, we think about the nation of Israel. I think we need to just put ourselves in their shoes for a moment. Because it's, it's possible that you and I could put our trust in our affiliation, in our actions, and miss salvation through Christ and Christ alone, through his mercy alone. I mean, when you think about the people of Israel, you think about a guy like Paul, right? They, they, he, he, he was zealous for God. He had the Old Testament. He knew it well. He, had, he understood who Yahweh was in many ways, but he had missed that he too needed mercy. And if you've grown up in the church, it could be easy to think, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I get it. Jesus died. And I, I, I believe that, that at the end of the day, he, he, he has saved me. And there's like this mental knowledge only, right? I, I have that knowledge. But when it comes to your life, you, believe, you live out as if it's about you and your actions. So I got to do my checklist, right? Do my, my checklist as to, as to, you know, what God would be happy with. So I do my checklist, go to that church. I hear that it's, you know... They preach along there, so I'll go there. I'm sure God will give me a bigger crown than going to that church where they only have 10-minute sermons. So I'll go there, and so my affiliation, like when I think about the affiliation thing, sometimes it's like, and, and I'm only saying this because this is what I hear in my circles, but I'm of MacArthur, right? That's pretty, wow, that's pretty good. I'm of Piper. I'm of Sproul. You know what I mean? It's like, you... I don't know like, who you follow, but they're like way down here. I, I'm up like with these giants, right? So, I'm, so I'm, surely I'm saved. Surely I'm saved because I, I listen to their podcasts. Again, we just put our hope in our affiliation and we miss that we are wretched sinners in need of a Savior, that we need to cry out for mercy. If, you, if you're a teenager here, if you've grown up in the church, I want to just, again, you need mercy, you need to cry out to God for salvation. You desperately need a Savior. It's, it has nothing to do with our actions. It has nothing to do with our affiliation. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lord, we, we prayed the prayers. We knew the right answers. Yet you never followed the will of the Father. It was about your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. You never submitted to him. You never truly put your trust in him. 
Lord, look what all we did for you. Look, I mean, that's a pretty impressive list. Prophesying, casting out demons, doing mighty works. Surely that gets me straight into heaven. Nope, it does not. It is only those who have cried out for mercy to the Lord God. It is only those who know him and he knows you. It is only those who have been adopted as his children. And that only happens through putting your trust in Christ. Which brings us to our last point. An astonishing righteousness. Astonishing righteousness. The fo focus shifts to the actions of man. Right? 6 through 29, look what God has done in salvation. Look what he has done. Now we see the human responsibility. It's almost like we've changed angles, right? And we're talking about this drama of salvation. There's been this view from heaven. Now we see the view on earth. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. In verses 6 to 29, he explains why, one, why anybody is saved. It is the sovereign election of God. In verses 30 to 33, he's showing us why anybody is lost. And the explanation of that is it is their own responsibility. They have chosen to reject Christ. As we will see, Israel has pursued righteousness on their own. Why is it that many Israelites have not been saved? Because they're trying to achieve it on their own efforts. Why is it that Gentiles are being saved? Because they are crying out in faith. And again, as, he, as we've went through the book of Romans, we see that faith is necessary if anyone be saved. If you have no faith, you have no salvation. And so he explains in verse 30, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? How is it that the Gentiles have been saved? By faith. And faith alone. The Gentiles have attained a right standing before God, not because they were pursuing it, as it were, through their own actions, but rather they saw that they could only be made right with God through faith. That moment of salvation for every single person is to understand that there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Not one thing that you could do. That you deserve judgment. And it, but in that moment... You understand the gospel, that Jesus died for you. And if you put your trust in him, you will not be put to shame. That he would save you as you cry out in mercy to him. That's the only way of salvation. And it's interesting here, as he said, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. Moose says this, Paul undoubtedly wants us to see that the Gentiles' attainment of righteous status with God without having sought it as a specific and important example of the principle that he has enunciated in his previous argument, argument. Belonging to the people of God is not a matter of the person who wills or the person who runs, but of the God who shows mercy. What does Paul say in Ephesians 2? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. How is it that I had faith all of a sudden to place my faith in him? It was a gift of God. This is how Gentiles 
of being saved. God has granted them faith and they place their trust in Christ. Why is it that Israel has not been saved? Verse 31, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to a righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. Many Jews sought to be made right by keeping the law through their good works, right? This is how we get to heaven. We just got to follow the law. But as we've seen over and over again earlier in the the book of Romans, the law was there to show that you can't do it, that, that you must cry out to God for mercy, that in ourselves we'll fail over and over again. But they believed that they could make it in their own way, self-righteous. Anyone who tries to get to heaven through their own righteousness will fail over and over again. Sure, they had a zeal for religion, but a zeal for religion will not save you. A pursuit of, of trying to do good things will not save you. It is only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ He says, continues on in verse 32, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Again, he he points us to the book of Isaiah. He's using quotes here from both Isaiah 28, 16 and Isaiah 8, 14. This, This stone in Zion, who is it? Who is it this morning? Do you know? It's Jesus. Jesus who came to Jerusalem, who died on a cross. He is the only way that you and I can be made right with God. And some people are like, they see that. As God grants them faith, they see, look, I can't do it. My righteousness will never make it. But Christ has died for me. And as a result, My sins have been paid for, and now Christ's perfect righteousness has been credited to my account. And as a result, I can be made right with God. Why was it that so many Jews missed salvation in Jesus Christ? Because of their pride. Because of their pride. As is today, why so many miss salvation. I'm a good person. If, if there is a heaven, which I don't know if there is or not, but if there is, for sure I'm getting in. I volunteer. I, I do good things. I treat everyone well. I, 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 I. Your pride will result in your damnation. You, you think about even, you know, these years right after Christ has come. He's come. He's died. He's risen again. And then for Paul, for Peter, for people to come along and say, look, Israel, you missed it. Jesus was the Messiah. He he is the way that you and I might be saved. And they're like, no, he wasn't. He was a deceiver. He he was a liar. He he tried to, he he didn't fulfill what the Messiah was supposed to do. If he was, he would have been the king. He he would have done all that we we see in the scriptures. So truly, he's not it. We would have known. We would have seen it. I mean, 2,000 years later, 
You talk to most Jewish people, it's the same story with them. I've read the Old Testament scriptures. I know them. I would, I, if, if it was about Jesus, I would see it. But what? They're blind to the truth. Listen, if we can save ourselves, then there was no need for a Savior. There was no point in Jesus coming. I mean, why, why, why can't I get to heaven through Buddha? Why can't I get to heaven through, through, through following Islam? Because Jesus is the only way. If, if he wasn't the only way, then what was the point of him coming? Why, why would God send his son? He is the only way. Stoss says this, the fact that Christ died for our sins is proof positive that we cannot save ourselves. But to make this humiliating confession is an intolerable offense to our pride. So instead of humbling ourselves, we stumble over the stumbling stone. So it is for many people in our world today, both Jew and Gentile. In fact, that might be you today. You still are stumbling over the fact that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're watching this morning. You're, you're still wrestling with this fact that, that, that when it comes to salvation, it's very exclusive, only through Jesus Christ. But I want you again to hear this morning that Christ saves all who will call upon him for mercy. I love that it says, if you call upon him today, you will not be put to shame. Christian, it's a good reminder this morning, isn't it? If you're a child of his this morning, you will never be put to shame. Life might be hard. You may be mocked. But your hope in him will result in your salvation for all of eternity. This morning, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know with certainty that you will not be put to shame as you've placed your faith in him and him alone? I pray that everyone here this morning can say that. If not, then repent today and turn to him alone for salvation. As the scriptures say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you feel God pulling you towards him, if you understand today that you are a sinner in need of a savior, then do not harden your heart today, but call upon him for mercy. There's an Anglican bishop, Jeremy Taylor, in the 1600s, he said this, if we refuse mercy here, we shall have justice in eternity. If we refuse mercy here, God holding out his mercy toward mankind, if you refuse it here, you will have justice for all of eternity as you pay for your sins before a holy God. In the end, whether you are elect or not will be based on your response to Jesus' offer. Right? So sometimes people are like, I don't know, am I elect or not? Do you love Jesus? Then you're elect. Well, my uncle, he still hasn't come to faith. Is he elect? I don't know. Do you know? No, you do not know. The only way we will know elect versus not elect is by the end, right? And even then we don't know for sure, right? 
in the end, we, you know, when you go to a funeral, you're like, I don't know what happened in that person's heart in the last moments of life. Oftentimes, we can, we can guess. We're like, well, I mean, seemed to be pretty hard against calling out for mercy to Jesus Christ right near the end. But only God knows, ultimately. He knows who are his children. And so, as we think about salvation, what we need to be focusing on is what is this. Have I cried out for mercy? Have I cried out for mercy? John 7, 37 and 38 says this. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In the end, whether you are elect or not will be based on your response to Jesus' offer. Did you cry out for mercy or did you not? The elect are whoever will, and the non-elect, whoever won't. What about when it comes to proclaiming the gospel? Like sometimes people get so caught up in election, that they're like, okay, well, should I tell them the gospel or not? Because I don't know if they're elect or not. Is that a good focus? <clears throat> Do not focus that way, okay? That's not your job. You look at all of this hex, look at all of the scriptures, our job is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel each and every day. That's our job. Believing what? There are still more people to be saved. God is still calling people to be his own each and every day through your proclamation of the gospel. It's not my job to determine who is elect and who is not elect. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm not going to tell them the gospel because for sure they're going to reject it. Are they? I mean, I love that one of the central characters of the entire New Testament is Paul. Like anybody think Paul's getting saved back in that day? I love that he gets saved on the road to Damascus and then God comes to, Jesus comes to Ananias. He's like, hey, Ananias, I want you to go to this man named Saul who will soon become Paul. I want you to go to him and, and, and lay your hands upon him because I told him that when you come to him, he will receive his sight. Would you go do that? What's Ananias' reaction? Lord, I, just to catch you up here. Um, he, this guy, he has been destroying your people. Did, did you know that? He is hostile against your people. And the whole reason he's here in Damascus is to bind us, to, to imprison us and take us back to Jerusalem. That's why he's here. Got it? Are we good now? I'm sorry. Maybe there's a little confusion there. Isn't that hilarious how we do that with God? It's like, uh, yeah, I know that. Um, anyway, but so what does he say? But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry, out my carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Look, I've saved him. He's my chosen instrument. You and I don't get to choose who will be saved. And so we go out and we proclaim the good news. But if they reject it once, never say it again. Is that how it works? Anyone think that's how it works? That's not how it works. Because... In God's timing, it may be the fifth time they hear the good news. It might be the tenth time. It might be the twentieth time that they finally are given faith and put their trust in Christ. We don't know. 
But what we get to do is we get to go out and sow the seeds and give out the gospel knowing and believing that God is the one who saves. It's not about my eloquent presentation. It's about me presenting the gospel as it is. And God saves over and over again. May we have a heart for the lost like Jesus had for the lost. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Redemption, we need to go out into the harvest each and every day. Be on mission for, his, for this gospel. Like how incredible would it be to come back next Sunday and share the stories of God saving the lost. This should be what we do every week. We go out and we can't wait to get back together again to talk about what God has done. That's our plan. Each and every, we come back, encourage, strengthen. Okay, go back out again. Proclaim the good news and see God save the lost just as he saved you. Do you think that you're saved because you're a great person? And Not true. God saved you in his mercy towards you, just as he desires to do others. Why do we know this? Because he's not back yet. Still more people to be saved. He's still building his church. God's plan of salvation, incredible. You look back in Hosea, the plan was that the Gentiles would also be saved. That people from every tribe and nation and language would be saved. This is going to be the scene in heaven. Like all of humanity, all this, like every, he says, every tribe, language, people, there will be people there who will be worshiping him in heaven. How incredible is that going to be? And the the gospel still goes out to every nation today. We get to be a part of that. God must judge sin. And he has over and over again. And yet in the midst of that, he shows mercy to a remnant. Today, have you, if you've placed your trust in him, then recognize that salvation is from him alone. You did nothing. Is that hard on our pride? That's a good thing. It's a good thing if our pride is humbled. It is he who has called us and set us apart. There should never be a reason to be prideful. These great truths should humble us in what? They should result in praise to him, for he alone is worthy of praise. This should spur us on to proclaim this good news, knowing that God is at work and, 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 and that he wants to save others. These words should cause us to persevere. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. One day soon, Our faith will be made sight and will be with Christ forevermore. To him be the glory for his great plan of salvation. From a man's perspective, full of twists and turns, from God's perspective, a perfect plan laid out before the foundation of the world. What an awesome Savior. We pray for us. Lord God, we love you. You are so good, God. Lord, when we think about
justice, when we think about our sin, what we deserved, every single one of us deserved condemnation. We put ourselves in the place of Israel. If it was not for your mercy, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Our sin would have been left unrestrained and judgment would have rightly fallen upon us. But God, you are a God of mercy. And in your goodwill, you have saved many in this room. Lord, we love you for that. Lord, we pray this morning if there be anyone here who is yet to call upon you for mercy, God, would you be gracious? Would you, would you have them do it today? Lord, every single person who will be condemned is due to their choice choice of rejecting you. God, may that weight be upon our shoulders today. And God, as we go from this place today, God, would you help us to go with boldness? Would you help us to go with expectation, proclaiming this good news to a lost and dying world, knowing, God, that it is your desire to still show mercy to lost sinners? God, would you save many, even this coming week. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this great reminder of your plan of salvation. It's your name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.